0: Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix. Where each month we focus on IT innovations that are moving federal agencies forward.
1: Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix. I'm your host Jason Miller. My guest today is Nutanix CEO, Deeraj Ponde. Deeraj, welcome to the program. My pleasure. Each episode we explore a wide range of IT issues, IT modernization, cloud computing, data center optimization, consolidation and much more. So but this is I'll call a special treat to have the CEO of Nutanix on cuz you're going to give us both the 50,000 foot view and probably and, and come down a little bit. So there's a lot of disruptive technologies and and you guys are, are v- very much around the hyperconverged infrastructure, multi-cloud models. What is driving all this adoption? G- give me a sense from where you sit what's going on with this really emerging set of disruption
2: at the core of this, is velocity and agility requirements of our customers. People want to move fast because everything around them, their customers, their consumers, and even their adversaries, like the hackers around the world, are moving really, really fast. And when you have such high-velocity environment, people want to look for ways to consume technology and infrastructure as fast as they could. And uh, that also means that they don't have time for... Specialists, you know, they cannot go to too many teams of people one doing storage, one doing networking, one compute, one virtualization, and yet another one doing servers and, and applications. Uh, IT was highly fragmented, and we're bringing it all together, not just in terms of machines coming together through hyperconvergence, but also people coming together and having generalist cloud operators as opposed to storage operators, network operators, security operators, and compute
1: operators. This fragmentation you speak of, and let's maybe dig into that just a little bit. It's interesting because when we look back in 15, 20, 30 years ago, everything was fragmented. And when you talk about the, the velocity and the speed, is that what the difference today versus 15 or 20 years ago is people just don't have time, if you will? Yeah, I
2: mean, you know, if you go back 30 years, mainframes were highly unified and and less fragmented. So, but then we decentralized computing, and we went to client-server and Windows, and then we started to centralize it a little bit with with virtualization, and um, you know, now it's even more centralized with cloud and and what's happening with hyperconvergence. So I think this oscillation of centralization, decentralization, back to centralization, this just goes on in IT like it goes on in fashion industry, because. You know, once we overdo and over rotate on something, you know, there's a rebellion, and I think there's this rebellion happening right now in the you know, IT industry about where we have too many people doing too many specialist, nichey things, and we need to really take a step back and understand how do we simplify uh, technology and have more people use technology for their needs.
1: I love that. The fashion industry is very similar to uh, uh, the computer industry. I'm not sure anyone's ever made that co- that connection before because I don't think people like us who love computers are not ever known to be uh, uh, fashionistas, right?
2: <laughs> no, you're right. But I think the more things change, the more they remain the same. I mean, what's happened to personal computing is what's happening to Enterprise computing, if you go back in time 10 years ago or before uh, the uh, introduction of iOS and uh, iPhones and smartphones, we used to have, I don't know, 50-plus devices that we would interact with, and not the least of which were music players and cameras and video cameras and GPS devices and flashlights. And, uh, you know, I can go on and on and on and talk about all sorts of devices, and then they all converged as pure applications. Uh, running on a common operating system which people either call an Android or an iOS and that's exactly what's happening in enterprise computing
1: as well. You make a great point. I was talking to someone just recently about the alarm clocks and, and someone said, who has an alarm clock anymore? And I had to raise my hand and said, actually, I do. When you talk about the environment and, and the fragmentation that's being kind of brought together and the speed, and that's where multi-cloud really can come in. And how is this kind of multi-cloud approach that agencies, that organizations in the private sector are taking, really is, is really the underpinning of this speed that, that I think organizations need?
2: There's no one-size-fits-all. There's horses for courses. You go back 20 years, and there were Microsoft workloads running on Windows operating system with Intel hardware. There were Oracle workloads running on Sun Solaris operating system on Spark environments. There were IBM workloads running on mainframes. And then there were Unix workloads running on HP UX and AIX and such. So, we've always had, I mean, if you may use the word cloud for 20 years ago, even though there was no cloud back then, there are multiple stacks and multiple operating systems. And uh, today it's no different. There's multiple clouds for multiple applications. There's some clouds that are better suited at the edge. We call it edge cloud. There are other clouds that are better suited at remote offices, branch offices, which we can call robo cloud. And then there's centralized data center infrastructure, which we call the private cloud. And finally, there is the public rented cloud as well. And, you know, there needs to be a way to look at uh, hybrid applications that span multiple clouds. There are applications that start at the edge and then they uh, bring data to a core cloud and then they do historical analysis of a ton of data that cannot be done at the edge. So there's different responsibilities of uh Uh, these microservices that run at different places in the cloud itself. And that's what's the reason for multi-cloud really is.
1: When you talk about the different apps, the hybrid apps, is that also a recognition that sometimes you'll be on your laptop, other times you'll be on a tablet, and and a third time you'll be on your mobile device, a smartphone, and that app has got to run across all those different devices and work basically the same. I mean, as you talk about speed, and there's also an impatience that if I have to wait, Thirty seconds for a website to load. I'm going. What's going on here? This is frustrating.
2: Yeah, I think you nailed it. That that example of personal life is exactly what uh, also happens in an enterprise too. I mean, we have customers who have cashierless restaurants. Now, if you think about a cashierless restaurant, you need machine learning and image recognition at the edge because there are no humans at, at a cashier register. So, uh, a camera takes some uh, feed uh, of uh, your plate and it needs to analyze it in real time and uh, you need to actually pay for things right then and there so that image cannot be brought to a big data center over a network because the network is the enemy so imagine now you've pushed uh, you know all this machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms to the edge to make a real exact uh, determination of what food is what kind of a food and and then I think eventually, over the course of the day when the point of sale needs to go and summarize this to a a parent organization, you need to bring summaries and aggregates, but not these big images, uh, very fine resolution, high resolution images to a large cloud itself. So there is a need for a lot of computing to be dispersed to the edge, and that's causing a lot of this multi-cloud movement to happen.
1: I see this the most, at least the request for this or the desire for this computing to the edge within the Defense Department, within the intelligence community. Are you, from a Nutanix perspective, when you talk to your customers, is that what you're seeing too? Or the civilian agencies want it, you know, farmers in the field or uh, food inspectors, you know, at at ports of entry or, you know, know, there's probably a ton of examples. Where do you see the biggest need or the desire to have this uh, power to the edge?
2: I think it's all across every industry that we interact with. And we have a pretty horizontal technology that goes from very large federal agencies to retail industry to manufacturing to goes on and on. Technology itself, there's a ton of industries that actually need this packaging and uh, you know, food processing industries. I think if you look at the federal agencies, for example, there are uh, reasons why a drone needs to make a real-time decision based on an imagery that it actually sees in the ground. And that data cannot be relayed over through satellites to a large data center because, you know, agility is king right there and they have to make a decision right then and there. Uh, Similarly, if there is a forward deployed base that needs to make decisions on the fly, you know, at the end of the day, the network is the enemy because the amount of data we're producing is just enormous. Data has immense gravity. You know, you really want applications to move to the data rather than data to move to a large uh, cloud data center itself. And that's what's causing this demand for dispersing computing to where people are, where machines are, uh, where operations are.
1: The network is the enemy. I think that could be a bumper sticker, right?
2: Absolutely. In fact, and it always has been. I mean, imagine you have so many pictures on your iPhone, and only a few of them make it to iCloud. I think I have
1: that problem, actually. (laughs) I think you got me right on. Absolutely. Jared, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to
0: the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix, on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. A recent survey revealed that at least 50% of federal agencies are using multiple clouds in their IT environment. Combine that with the legacy infrastructure that most agencies still use, and you can imagine the complexity and the limitations of such an environment. But federal agencies are adopting Nutanix to simplify and manage this complexity. Nutanix Software-Driven Infrastructure and Enterprise Cloud give IT freedom from complexity, freedom to work with any cloud, to run any application at the scale they need, to use what Whatever technology stack suits them and to invent the technology that will move their mission forward to learn more about how Nutanix is helping organizations simplify their IT environments visit Nutanix.com freedom welcome
1: back you're listening to the IT Innovation Insider sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Radio part of the Federal News Network I'm your host Jason Miller my guest is Dirij Pandey, the Nutanix CEO now, Deirage, before break, we were talking about why we were at the multi-cloud, why the, the, the need for uh, hyper-convergence, why is the disruption happening? But let's talk about the journey to multi-cloud. I think a lot of agencies, a lot of organizations are on this, if you will, path today, some more than others. What are you seeing? What has stands out to you uh, from your level as the CEO of Nutanix that, that makes this successful?
2: Yeah, I think the big trend is towards, you know, web-scale engineering and consumer-grade design. Like, how do you really make infrastructure consumer-grade where uh, all application users and administrators can actually consume infrastructure without having to file tickets and go to different teams? So the first thing that people are doing is, you know, really doing the software-defined infrastructure transformation. And it's a great effort in data center modernization, infrastructure modernization, where all you see is racks and racks of commodity servers and commodity hardware, and everything is running in pure software. And that's exactly the way the hyperscalers, these consumer cloud companies, have been treating their infrastructure for the last 10, 15 years. So with hyperconvergence, you're able to bring that architecture to everybody uh, within the enterprise without having to take sides about should I rent this from a public cloud provider or what if I wanted to own this architecture. And I think that's what hyperconvergence has done is to bring that hyperscale architecture uh, to everybody in their on-prem environments. Now, from there, uh, people are saying, well, and some things I want to own and some things I want to rent. And that's where the next level of hyperconvergence comes in, where you want to converge your private cloud experience with the public cloud experience. So many of the organizations, like U.S. Navy, for example, have this view that they need to have a a cloud on the edge uh, in these battleships. They need to have uh, extremely uh, space-efficient and power-efficient and and skill-sets-efficient infrastructure that can be used by application folks, and then they have remote offices and branch offices and then they have core large data centers and finally they're also now scratching the surface of what renting it from a secure public cloud itself looks
1: like the navy example is a good one because one of the big challenges that not just the navy but a lot of agencies are having is getting this idea of the cloud as we talked maybe in the last segment to the edge but let me back up for a sec when you talk about this hyper convergence piece and maybe put a finer point on it or or bring it down to a layman's level what does that actually mean for the user? Meaning if I'm not a software server person, I'm able to, through this setup, go on and, and, and provision a server when I need it and then you know kind of turn it up and turn it down? Or, or what are you, maybe help me put, put a better uh, yeah, absolutely.
2: understanding. I mean, if you look at uh, the simplicity of a smartphone and both iOS and Android did this, that now a two-year-old can interact with the smartphone, it can swipe and they can pinch in and out and, Uh, They can do a lot of things on a relatively profound device. Uh, And even an 80-year-old can do this. So in a matter of a couple of days, our grandparents have been able to learn these things too. So at the core of all of this is how do you democratize technology and democratize computing uh, and bring it to anybody and everybody at the click of a button? That's what hyperconvergence aims to do is to bring all this infrastructure, bring all this computing power at the click of a button, to folks who really run applications because that's where the business logic runs. And these are the people who have deadlines and have budgets and heads roll if uh, applications are unavailable or not reliable or not fast enough. We're saying, well, uh, to those people who actually used to deal with applications, can we have them also run infrastructure? And to do that, you have to make it extremely simple. And uh, they don't need to worry about the nuts and bolts of of the underlying architecture, and that's what, in some sense, the public cloud provided to developers. The developers treat a lot of the public cloud as a black box because they go and deal with uh, the layers of uh, computing that m- really matters to them, as opposed to every layer beneath that.
1: Are agencies getting there? Are you starting to see this hyperconvergence take hold within a lot of your customer sets?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you know the Gartner Magic Quadrant and uh, the forester Wave. Uh, has you know created this demand for how do they go and modernize infrastructure, how do they go and modernize computing, how do they bring cloud to uh, their on-prem environments. And now with even the public cloud folks like Amazon and Azure are now talking about uh, their outposts and their Azure stacks, that people know that cloud is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's not just rented, but it's owned as well. So a lot of these uh, organizations have been thinking hard, oh, and especially because uh, the government is also trying to do more with less uh, there's never been a time, including what's been happening for the last couple of years with, you know, all these fits and starts of continuing resolution and, you know, using only O&M budgets and such, uh, people are saying pay as you grow is the only way I can actually grow as opposed to the old world of, oh, I need uh, a $10 million thing to go and uh, uh, flush my budget for this year. Those things are, you know, basically days of the year.
1: I think absolutely, and especially as we uh, deal with the continued budget challenges, both the partial shutdown, but uh, as well looking forward as as just the budget challenges coming up in fiscal 2020 for agencies. So if you have some customers and you're seeing the hyperconvergence really starting to take hold and and grow, what are some mistakes, what are some pitfalls or even some misperceptions that agencies have around hyperconvergence or or should they try to avoid?
2: Yeah, I think one of the missed opportunities when you converge all this stuff is to not understand security and, and how do you burn in security as a, as, a, as a work ethic, as a virtue, as as a first-class design principle of computing is, is probably one of the most important things that many customers miss. Uh, because now that you brought all this stuff together, just like with an iOS, which is actually a pretty secure device, and the use of a fingerprint or a face recognition basically is one way to unlock your device. There are similar principles in hyperconvergence around security that really make it important for customers to understand what it means to really uh, modernize their infrastructure. There are other misconceptions around uh, the public cloud itself, around, oh, there's a one size fits all. Uh, we talk about uh, this Jedi project, it's like a $10 billion contract. And in some sense, when the word billion is used in the same sentence as cloud, it's a slap in the face of the word cloud because cloud was meant to really go and uh, enable consumption at a fractional level, you know, maybe on a per-month basis or you know, per-hour basis and things of that nature. I Imagine if uh, I were to tell you that, look, the only way you can consume songs on iTunes is by uh, spending a million dollars up front. Uh, I mean, that's worse than going and buying an entire Tower Records uh, shop, actually. You know? And that's what's happening with the cloud right now, that we are in the realm of billions uh, and in some sense, you're back to the days of uh, heavy CapEx investments and flushing of budgets and, and lock-ins. And we need to actually avoid some of those things that just perils of the last 20 years uh, in some sense.
1: For, for our audience who are listening who may not know what Tower Records is, we should define it for them. That's called a record shop where you could go and buy <laughs> cassettes and CDs and records, right?
2: I'm sorry. Yeah, in fact, uh... you
1: dated all both of us. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things you bring up about misconceptions, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up security because I think that's one of the, the big areas that, that a lot of agencies are, are still trying to get their head around. In, in many ways, the hyperconvergence uh, approach is more secure because not everything is dependent on one set of servers or one one cloud. Because you're, if you will converging multiple clouds at the same time. What type of assurances do you give to your customers, again, whether public sector or private sector, that there is more security in in this approach than maybe, hey, keep it all and hug your server?
2: If you uh, take a step back, even though it's not uh, an exact parallel, but in the world of blockchain, like the blockchain technology is about distributing the trust. So you have distributed trust. So there's no centralized way to go and and, uh, breach something. And that's what multi cloud really is. It's a, it's a way to distribute your trust amongst multiple providers, multiple operating systems, uh, multiple locations as well. Uh, and uh, then these applications uh, that are now hybrid or multi cloud apps, they get to talk to each other through a way that it's not, you don't centralize the trust in one place, in one location itself. The many things that we're doing to democratize security, for example, encryption. You know, encryption of data at rest, encryption of data in flight, two-factor authentication, fiG compliance, and there's a ton of things around these uh, security templates that need to be burned into the design of the software itself. There's a lot of things that can be made very, very simple, like key management of encryption keys. A lot of these things that we've just made into pure software, and people don't even have to pay for these devices separately. They used to be pretty expensive. And now we are saying that anybody... Uh, who actually even uh, manages the simplest of apps can now use these technologies.
1: All very good points. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix
0: on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Eight years after the federal cloud-first initiative, a certain universal truth has emerged. Success in cloud is not a one-size-fits-all proposition. A recent survey revealed that 59% of federal agencies plan to increase their use of private cloud over the next two years. Results from that same survey noted that organizations realize the greatest cost savings and IT agility when using a hybrid cloud model. Nutanix gives agencies the freedom to manage hybrid cloud complexity with ease. With the enterprise cloud, you can Combine the agility and simplicity of the public cloud with the security and control you need in a private cloud. No more lock-in, spiraling costs, and data governance issues. To learn more about how Nutanix can free you from IT complexity, visit Nutanix.com freedom. Welcome back. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix.
1: On Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Gerage Pandey, the Nutanix CEO. Now, Dirich, before break, we were talking about the some of the challenges of getting to multi-cloud, why multi-cloud is, is is the place where a lot of people are going with this hyperconvergence. The other piece that I think we have to bring up, and you touched on it earlier in segment one is about AI, machine learning, and then the, the bigger, the bigger thing called IoT, Internet of Things. So give me a sense of that the why hyperconvergence and that this type of infrastructure, multi-cloud, becomes that much more important as we start talking about these emerging technologies.
2: I think, you know, the whole idea of uh, hyperconvergence is to reduce the work uh, and the amount of burden that we've given to IT operators. I mean, the weekends that they do uh, spend time debugging uh, performance issues and reliability issues and, you know, staying on the phone with, uh, with vendors and trying to really figure out the needle in the haystack problem. A lot of those things that humans do today can be done by machines. Uh, I mean, not least of which is, you know, things like log analysis and, you know, I mean, not reactive support, but proactive support and predictive customer success. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, areas in which people are trying to move away from just reactive, you know, ER facility, like emergency room, like uh, uh, behaviors, which is what IT was used to for the last 20 years, to doing things more uh, in a more proactive fashion, and that's where... Data becomes really key, and machine logs become key, and how machines go and process all this information that humans can't is uh, really going and giving the weekends back to a lot of IT operators. They don't need to worry about things because machines are taking care of those things. And you know, at the core of machine learning is this technology called uh, neural networks, uh, and uh, neural networks is is in a way it's trying to simulate the human brain, and it learns and learns and learns over time, and it understands what false positives are, what false negatives are, and there's a very tight feedback loop of learning. And and it's being utilized in every walk of life that we are in. I mean, not just uh, the way you use Alexa and the way you use your Google Home and such, but also in the way you use uh, technologies like Nutanix. Like we have this uh, tech called XFIT, which lets you do capacity planning, uh, which lets you understand performance anomalies and uh, do correlations between the way your users log in versus the way the underlying performance behaves and so on. So there's a ton of work that machines can do that really frees up people to do other things, bigger, better things, actually. And that's basically the core of AI and ML. And, you know, uh, the best companies don't go and sell machine learning and AI explicitly because AI and ML is like oxygen, you know, it needs to be everywhere. It needs to be invisible, you know, and, and we talk about invisible infrastructure all the time. I think AI and ML uh, are the invisible infrastructure of everything in cloud.
1: One of the key reasons why I think this multi-cloud hyper-converged approach is starting to take hold, as well is the data, and I think you touched on this quite a bit, but let's go down this, this path a little bit. When you talk about Internet of Things or connected devices, whether we're talking about wearables or sensors, All those things are doing is delivering data back, and you need an infrastructure to, one, take in that data, and the data has to kind of ride on that infrastructure, but then you need the AI and the machine learning to process that information. Is that why the emergence of these areas have happened so much more quickly than, say, cloud? I mean, we've been talking cloud now for 10 years in the federal government, and agencies are still dipping their toes in. But when we talk about AI in the federal government or machine learning, I, I see a much more aggressive approach.
2: Yeah, I mean, AI and ML are aggressive approaches because, you know, in fact, those are the ways in which uh, we found El Chapo and that those are the ways in which you found Osama Bin Laden and others. So uh, uh, analytics, uh, the use of Palantir in the past and federal agencies, uh, the use of LexisNexis. There's a lot of uh, popular apps, the use of Enterprise Search, uh, uh, Hadoop, and and, uh, Offlate, a lot of uh, AI and ML. I think these things have been there for, for time immemorial in the federal government. I think now it's becoming simpler and more ubiquitous because computing power is available everywhere. And at the edge, it's even more critical because, as we talked about before, the network is the enemy. When you're producing so much of data, data has a ton of gravity. And to move data is way harder than to move uh, a uh, business logic and software and application to where the data itself is. And now at the edge, you need to have an entire infrastructure, whether it's middleware and a platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, uh, software that actually runs at the edge to analyze all this data. So the, the real requirement for you know, federal agencies and commercial enterprises is how can they think of their extended enterprise, not just the core data center? With the extended enterprise and how do they secure it? How do they upgrade them? How do they patch them? How do they provision them? How do they deprovision them? All those things become really important in this distributed multi cloud world.
1: And it comes back to in many ways this whole idea that there is no edge to your network anymore, right? where security was, you know, protect, you know, the idea of put the moat around your castle. There the moat doesn't work because there is no edge. There your your Absolutely. network never ends.
2: In fact it's a perimeter less Enterprise, you know, there's no perimeter in some sense because you are basically everywhere. And, uh, And the other problem is that it's not just web scale because web scale used to be tens of thousands of machines. Now it's planet scale, which is maybe millions of sensor devices, you know, and that's where the real challenge begins.
1: Dears, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. Before I let you go, as we look forward as, as Nutanix continues to serve its customers, both federal customers and private sector customers, what's next? Where, where are we heading? You know, if we have this conversation again in a year or two from now, where do you see the change, you know, the next kind of big thing that's kind of going to impact the way agencies manage their networks, deal with data, uh, really meet their mission?
2: I think the core of this is the idea of hybrid, uh, where owning and renting will come to coexist, just like uh, it's true for automotives and the way we rent Uber and the way you own cars. And it's true for hotels, like we have own our homes, which is uh, very important for everybody, and we also rent hotels. So similarly, I think computing is going to go through the transformation where cloud is going to be everywhere, and how do we converge the experiences is where the a real a true uh, value to a customer
1: is very good and i uh, we'll look forward to seeing if we can h- continue that that path that you know value will continue to grow for the customer that's all the time we've had for today let me first thank my guest dirij Ponde, the nutanix ceo dirij thank you so much for your time my pleasure i've been your host jason miller and you've been listening to the it innovation insider sponsored by nutanix on federal news radio part of the federal news network